Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Hour number two on the Saturday get-together here on CBS Sports Radio. Jody Mack coming your way live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Need to know what it takes from a home loan to fit your budget and your family? Rocket can. I'll continue right along here for the next three hours on CBS Sports Radio. Be bopping back and forth between NFL Week 5. College football ongoing, big touchdown by Alabama. Devonta Smith, didn't I tell you the guy was a stone-cold stud last hour? Just took one in on an end around from about nine yards out. Uh, top 15 pick in the NFL draft. Mark it down now. Remember I told you. Um, MLB stuff last night. Yankees losing, Rays advancing. Who do you got in the final four? And after the Yankees were over and done with, I uh, zeroed in on game five of the NBA Finals. Down 3-1, Heat trying to stave off elimination. Through the pure will and strength of Jimmy Butler, they were able to do that last night. So we're getting a game six, which means we could get a game seven. That's good for all us Hoop fans. I got a Hoop fan and a Hoop critic joining me next. His website, Hoops at Hoops Critic. Um, and a, a must for any NBA fan, HoopsCritic.com. Follow him on Twitter at Hoops Critic and catch him on SiriusXM's NBA channel. Brian Geltzile joins me here on CBS Sports Radio. How you been, Geltz? I'm good, Jody. How you doing this morning, pal? Good, pal. This, Thank this you. Morning. This evening, I, I, I'm, I'm all with the, the, us being in the middle of the finals. I'm all discombobulated and upside down. I don't even know what time of day it is. Been, been a long one for you today here, huh? A little, a little AAU action in. I had a little AAU action. I had my show this morning. A little AAU. I blew off this afternoon. A little AAU action tonight. We got a win tonight in the tournament, which was nice. nice. And then I go right back at it tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. back to my show. So whole lot going on here. Gotcha. And uh, I'll get you off here in 10 or 15 minutes and let you hit the hay so you're good to go my in the morning. Went, went uh, late last night down to the final possession. Great fourth quarter battle between the Heat and the Lakers, but the subtitle LeBron versus Jimmy Butler. Um, I know LeBron didn't miss the last shot. He made the right play, gave it to Danny Green, who had an uncontested three at the top of the key, and he just short-armed it. He came up short and couldn't make it. Um, Ray Allen has uh, helped LeBron out in previous incarnations, Kyrie Irving as well. But Danny Green let him down last night, and that's a wide-open three. He's got to make it. Should LeBron have tried to force the action and taken that shot himself? No, I don't think so. Listen, I, I think ultimately there's a little more of an underlying problem with the Lakers' role players that is highlighted by Green missing that three. That really isn't on LeBron at all. But the reality is, is, and what we've seen with these Laker role players, and the one guy that has kind of gone against convention, whether it's been Contavious Caldwell-Pope, 
is that there's a, generally a hesitation among these guys that's kind of set in in the finals here to do anything but take threes. And <clears throat> you had a spotlight that Danny Green where he catches a pass out beyond the three-point line in a game where they're down one, Iguodala closing out hard on him. And quite frankly, yes, he let it, he shot the ball, and Iguodala kind of went by him as he shot the ball. It was a wide-open look. But the reality is two dribbles into a 15-footer is a much easier shot to make, and they needed two instead of three. But that's kind of the way the Lakers have been conditioned. It's hurting Rondo now because Rondo is, when he was hot shooting, it was fine that he shot threes. Now he's not really hot shooting and he's being left open. He's missing a lot of open threes. Caruso's a guy who can be a good threat off the bounce. He's kind of fallen into that fact of just sit back and take threes. And then even Marquise Morris, who shot 41% from three in these playoffs, last night gets that offensive rebound with about five seconds left and he's 18 feet from the hoop and he ends up throwing a pass away that when he was wide open for a jump shot. Like, it, it, there's the, the, the hesitancy of the role players to do anything but kind of just stand there and shoot threes is something that I think Frank Vogel's got to get out in front of for tomorrow because ultimately when you look at, at, at how everybody on that team played outside of James Davis and Caldwell Pope, they really, they're, they're only as good as shots they make. And I think the Lakers, especially offensively, these, these other role players for them have have to be more effective and have their games be more diverse because I think Miami took gross advantage of that in the way they defended them. And the big advantage was Jimmy Butler, who has just turned into a phenomenal player. Now, I got to see Butler play a lot last year in his two-thirds of a season in Philly, a little more than half, um, and he was never afraid to take the big shot, take over the game at big times, even with Simmons and Embiid in Philadelphia. He has just taken it to another level here. No, he was good with Chicago. No, he was good with Minnesota. He's made a couple of all-NBA teams, but only third teams. He's now playing like a top-five player in the NBA. Where is this coming from? Well, it's interesting. You know, it's funny. I, I heard the great Adrian Wojnarowski say this on NBA Countdown last week, and I thought it was couldn't have been said any better. He had former... Grizzlies and Knicks head coach and former Heat assistant David Fisdale on his podcast. And David Fisdale described Jimmy Butler in this way. He said, Jimmy Butler is a dog. He said, and if you put him in a room full of cats, they're going to be fighting like like cats and dogs fight. If you put him in a room full of dogs as a dog, you have a pack. And that's kind of what's happened here in Miami. You look at the guys he was with in Minnesota. Okay, two number one overall picks, Towns and Wiggins. Two guys, let's face it, have spent their entire basketball life being told how great they are. Then he goes into Philadelphia, and as much as Embiid and Simmons said the right things publicly, they didn't like how Jimmy made them feel uncomfortable. And once again, you got one guy a number one overall pick, one guy that was a number three overall pick that if he wasn't hurt would have been a number one overall pick. And again, two guys that have been told their entire basketball lives how good they were. That's not what Jimmy Butler's interested in doing. If you're not diving in, working hard to get better with him, every single day. He doesn't have a lot of use for you. So enter guys into this situation. First of all, his buddy from Marquette, Jay Crowder, and that means a lot to have him here. But look at a guy like Tyler Hero. was a number uh, 14 overall pick in the draft. Had to work for everything he got. Bam Adebayo, number 13 overall pick in the draft. Had to work for everything he got. Undrafted free agents, Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn, who've had to bust their butts to be able to just stay in the league. And these are guys that want to work with Jimmy Butler. 
Butler every day. And what's happened, there's been a trust that Butler has placed in these young guys, and they trust him back. And that's up and down the roster. The head coach has nothing but trust in Butler, and Butler is in an environment where he's entirely comfortable, and he doesn't feel like he has to call people out day in and day out because they're not working as hard as he does. We hear a lot about heat culture. That's a big part of the heat culture is that work ethic and that level of seriousness. Butler brings it every day, and now he's in an organization that supports it every day and doesn't tolerate it where he doesn't have to always be the bad guy. And I think so much of that has kind of created this incredible leader that Butler is, and really, quite frankly, this incredible player who's always had immense confidence in who he was on a basketball court. But now he's able to apply it on the biggest stage that we have. And, and let's face it, he is doing a fantastic job. Whatever happens in these finals, they, they could lose tomorrow night, Jody. But Jimmy Butler will always have these finals for the performances that he had in Game 3 and Game 5, where he was in a, in a game with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the floor. In those two games, he was the best player on the best floor. player on the floor, absolutely right. Brian Geltzile, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, you throw out some of the uh, other dogs in the room for Miami these days. And that's why they've got a chance to extend this to a Game 7 and then maybe steal an NBA championship. Who should get the yeoman's part of the credit for that? Understood the right answer is it's a combination of the two. But if you had to rank them, number one, Eric Spolster and his coaching staff. Number two, Pat Riley and his assistants in the front office who constructed this roster. I'm going to give Spo and the coaching staff first just because it's not only – the way they play conceptually, the way he thinks outside the box in terms of how they've played the zone, how they've used the zone, how he runs his rotations, but it's the individual improvement of players. It's the fact that he's had faith in guys who have now performed on the biggest stage with immense amount of confidence. I mean, Duncan Robinson last night was fantastic. 26 points in that game. They needed every single one of them, but more importantly, where in game four, the Lakers were able to take advantage of him defensively in a big way and really two big possessions late in that game where they took advantage of Robinson, hurt the Heat a lot. Robinson actually was made had a fantastic double team onto James on that pass he threw to Danny Green. Robinson was great defensively last night, but Duncan Robinson develops because of Eric Spolster's player development program and how that works. Tyler Hero, Tyler Hero has now, in Dragic's absence, played a ton of point guard in the NBA Finals. He's, he's been a primary ball handler. That's not something Tyler Hero did well when he first entered the league. He developed that way. You look at what Kendrick Nunn entered last night. He had 14 points last night. They're without Dragic. They need a little guard to give him something. He's out there giving it to him as first-team all-rookie this year. This is player development. And, yes, it takes Riley and Andy Ellisberg and, and, and that front office to be able to go find guys, and they, and they do a fantastic job of that. But ultimately, it's the vision of the coaching staff that and Eric Spolstra that we can take these guys guys and make them major contributors. And let's face it, what's an NBA Finals team right now? So yeah, I give Riley all the credit in the world, but I have to tell you, it's to me, Spo is what really dif- differentiates this organization and makes them so special. And when Pat Riley finally is going to be done with this, what the Heat have is going to continue for years to come because of Eric Spolstra. As good as the complimentary pieces around Jimmy Butler have been that we've just been talking about, and we both agree they have been, Butler has been the guy in the two big wins when it was all on the line. It came down to him, and he 
produced, be it got to the line, made foul shots, made baskets, made threes, did whatever it needed to be done, he got it done. If you're Frank Vogel, do you force the ball out of his hands? Do you double him? Do you get someone out there maybe to just uh, get try and get inside his head in the first quarter and uh, somehow get him off the game, even if it costs you a little bit and you spend the entire first quarter in the penalty? How do you slow down the Jimmy Butler train if you're Frank Bogle? I don't know that you do, and I'll say this to you, Jody. I don't know that Jimmy Butler going for 35, 12, and 11 is what lost the Lakers that game. I think Duncan Robinson going for 26 is what lost the Lakers that game. And the Lakers who played their best defensive game of the entire playoffs in game four of this series played one of the worst the other night. And ultimately I think that you can't let a second guy get going. So if I, if I listen, but think about Butler and you saw it in game four, Jody, He'd rather pass than shoot. They've had to lean on him to really shoot as much as he shot here in the two games that they've won. And that's going to continue, and it wears on him. It certainly does. But again, you have to keep everybody else from going off. The fact that you had Robinson make that kind of contribution, that has to be the larger concern. And listen, for all the Kentavious called what Pope did offensively for the Lakers the other night, he was really bad defensively. He kept he kept getting caught ball watching and Robinson is a very alert aware player that kept punishing for that and ultimately I think listen they've been able to control Tyler Tyler Hero with Danny Green on him they're going to have to make a switch for game six and put Danny Green on Duncan Robinson and take their chances with Pope on Hero that that's really going to have to be the move because I think ultimately you can devote a lot of resources to Jimmy Butler but he's he's like Jokic in this way remember what happened with Jokic in game seven of the Clippers series okay the Clippers decided you know what, we're not going to let Jokic beat us scoring, and we're going to start to roll doubles at him because we really have no one that can match up with them. And what did Jokic do? Jokic turned guys like Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant and Michael Porter into studs by getting them wide-open shots because he's a gifted passer. Jimmy Butler has become that kind of gifted passer. So if you're going to decide you need to get it out of Butler's hands, all you're going to do is create tons of space for guys that can really kill you. And at that point, Butler as a passer, Butler as a passer may be more dangerous than Butler as a scorer. And again, I go back to this. Robinson's 26 is really what buried the Lakers last night. I don't think as great as Butler played, as many big plays as he made down the stretch of that game, it never should have come down to that. But the Lakers made a lot of mistakes guarding other guys, and that's going to be the part that's going to have to be better. Hoopscritic.com, Brian Geltzeiler, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, um, let's play the take it out a couple of steps game. Uh, we get a game okay. seven, game six, goes the heat way, close, uh, however you factor it. But at the end of the game, we walk off, game seven's coming Tuesday night. How much pressure is there on LeBron James for that game? Listen, I will tell you, there's a lot of pressure on him for game six. I think, I think the pressure has ramped up. One thing I knew about the Miami Heat in this series, the fourth one for the Lakers was going to be the toughest. And it's playing out exactly that way. And, and, and the reason I say there's a lot of pressure on him for game six because once you go into game seven, you can see that anything can happen. Any, if, if you get the wrong injury at the wrong time, listen, Anthony Davis hurt his heel last night in the first half. He really wasn't the same in the second half. He only took six shots in the second half. That's a bad break for the Lakers. LeBron went out there and went for 40 and had his signature game of the playoffs. One of the, he had 21 shots. He was six of nine from three. One of the best performances of his entire career in the playoffs. And they didn't win the game. Those types of things are put 
putting a mountain of pressure on James because then it, then there's some of this that's just out of James's control. It's got to be some other guys that help him out. And and that's the part where there's so much pressure is that if 40 wasn't enough, well, heck, to get game six, maybe you're going to have to go to 50. And, and, and listen, will he? He might. He very well might. But if you get to a game seven, the random outcomes start to be something that play a much larger role in terms of what can happen here. And for James, you know, it, it's funny, it, it, you know, we had talked to Brian Windhorst on my show for ESPN this morning, who has covered LeBron James' his whole professional career. Right. And he had said that he thought James's legacy was completely intact when he went to L.A. However, if he blows a 3-1 lead, his legacy is going to take a huge hit. This is his legacy on the line here. For, for all the finals that he's appeared in, this is his 10th NBA final. He's, he is 3-6 and six right now. If he's going to blow a 3-1 lead in this one to a five seed on top of it, the Miami Heat, the team that he left in the lurch when he went back to Cleveland, that's gonna that, that is gonna be one that LeBron doesn't ever, ever live down and he wants to be the greatest of all time. It can't blow a three one lead to the Miami Heat in this I, spot. The pressure on LeBron James is enormous, Jody. Right I'm now not, it's enormous. I know we agree, but is Miami really a five seed? Someone told me today that if uh, Miami comes back and wins this, it'll be the greatest upset in NBA finals history. And I just I I don't maybe it's because I give too much respect for Miami from whence they came. I don't really see them as a five seed. They actually finished a tie with Indiana. They broke the tie breaker and then swept them in the first round. So there you go with the seeding means absolutely nothing. How big an upset is this going to be if the Heat can beat the Lakers? Enormous upset. It will be. With biggest in history, probably not. And I agree with you on the Heat are not your garden variety five seed. They're not. Um, and, and But with that said, I don't think anybody believed that they can do what they've done here. And, and, and I will also say this about the Heat, not to diminish any of their accomplishments at all because they've been incredible. And they ran through the East in the same efficient way that the Lakers ran through the West, each team only with three losses in, in, the, in the first three rounds of the playoffs. But I also don't know that Miami would be here without the bubble. I think the bubble has favored Miami in a way that it, it's, it's been difficult for other teams. Jody, in this bubble, players have been together with teammates and their teams as if they were their families. And I think it, it takes the teams that are bonded together more, get along better, have better relationships. Those teams have a distinct advantage in the bubble. Like, look how the Clippers crumbled. Because in the end, they didn't really like each other all that much. So when, when they had to be around each other, and we know familiarity can breed contempt sometimes, and they had to be around each other all the time, when push came to shove, there was a whole lot of finger pointing, and guys weren't willing to pull together. For Miami, it's the opposite. This is a group that really likes being with one another. So they've actually bonded in the bubble in ways that other teams just haven't. It's part of the nature of the organization. It's part of the nature of their culture. And it's part of because the guys that they have on board. So I, I think so much of, of what happened here with Miami and, and this wonderful story that they are has everything to do with the fact that they have handled life in the bubble probably better than any other team in the league, including the Lakers. Since you brought it up, Clippers move on from Doc Rivers. Scapegoating or necessity? Um, it's a great question, Jody. It really is. I would say this. I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I think ultimately I, I know that the owner felt like he had to go in a different direction. Um, and I say that, keep this in mind in 2015, they blew a three, one lead to the Houston Rockets. It was the first year bomber owned the team. 
and they collapsed. They were up 20 points with 13 minutes left in a game six at home to the Rockets. And the Rockets came back to beat them by 12. Think about that. And James Harden never got back off the bench. And if you remember that deer in the headlights look that entire team had, it was really the same deer in the headlights look that they had in game seven against the Nuggets in the second round where the Nuggets were just yucking it up on them in that fourth quarter. And the only common element between those two situations, it was a totally different team. The only common element was Doc Rivers. And I think Steve Ballmer recognized that and realized that, that there were some demons that had to be shed in terms of, 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 of kind of getting rid of Doc here. And I also think, listen, I think Doc got out coached very, very badly in that series. And I, and I think in the end, he kind of felt like superstars were going to police that locker room and that locker room got a little bit messy. I don't know that he had players work as hard as they necessarily needed to work. I think that they, they felt that Doc had gave this team the impression they were better than they were, and I think that hurt what they were doing. So I think, yes, he was sort of scapegoated, but I think it was definitely it, it, it was definitely a necessity for them to be able to take the next step. I also believe this in my heart of hearts. There's going to be some significant roster changes. They're not Leonard, not Paul George, but I don't know that anybody else in that roster outside of those two is safe. they just going to elevate Tyron Lue to that kick? Listen, it's very possible. I know that he is, they, they, they really like him a lot in that organization. I know Steve Bomber's fond of him. Um, I know the players are fond of him. I know Lawrence Frank is fond of him. But the one other name I would watch very closely in that situation is Jeff Van Gundy. Because I, I think there's a belief in that organization that if the players will kind of buy into Jeff a little bit with the understanding that Jeff hasn't done this in 13 years, that he's actually the perfect coach for that team. And so it's going to depend. Listen, here's the thing about, and it's only two guys for that job. It's going to be Lou or Van Gundy. I okay. and, and the thing I'll say to you about that is that Lou is the safe choice. Van Gundy's the choice that has the upside. And it'll be very interesting to see what the Clippers do if they want to play it safe and, and take the safe route with Ty Lue or if, or if they want to shoot for the one. Listen, it's the best job available. They can have anybody they want out there. It's so much better than any other job that's available right now because, A, you can win the title immediately. B, the owner's going to pay you through the nose. He'll pay whatever you want. So, yeah, it's a great, great job out there. And I don't think – I know there was, there was a report today from Mark Stein in the New York Times that Mike Brown really impressed a lot in the interview. This is going to interview a bunch of guys. In the end, it's going to be either Lou or Van Gundy. If you had to ask me which one I believe it will end up being, I'd probably say Ty Lue because I think in the end they do go with the safer choice, keeping in mind that you have Leonard and George are both eligible to opt out of the contracts next summer. So I think if they believe that's the one the players are more comfortable with, they'll go with that safer choice. But I wouldn't – I certainly wouldn't – on Jeff Van Gundy for that job. He's got all the answers whenever I ask the questions. HoopsCritic.com, Sirius XM's NBA Radio, Brian geltz Thank you much, Geltz. We will do this again uh, once we get a championship crown and we'll start to look ahead to next year. Jody, I look forward to it. And listen, if you ask me questions and I told you I didn't know, you probably wouldn't have me on anymore. So it's good that I'm giving you. At some point, I may move in another direction. Uh, if you're not, that is not the case right now. Geltz, thanks, bud. got it, my man. Take care, buddy. Talk to you Brian, soon. Brian Geltz, here with us on uh, CBS Sports Radio. All right, uh, he gave you some good NBA insight. Not only did the final, but a couple of things to look forward to after the season is over and done with. In-season NFL, college football, MLB, out of season as per tomorrow night, yay or nay, you tell me. NBA, get on my phones, 855-212-4227. Jordan Mack hanging with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.